Good morning, All Seasons. It is so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord. This morning, I want to be on the third part of our series we're dealing with on a stewardship's lifestyle. Uh, I use the term uh, servant. Uh, if you talk to Tony Evans uh, in Dallas, he uses discipleship. He, everything he writes is disciple this and disciple this and disciple this. Kingdom disciples is one of the things we're studying right now. And then and so it doesn't matter. The phrasing is the same. It's the understanding. If I say disciple, what I'm talking about is someone who has chosen to be under the authority of someone who then operates and does acts under the authority or through the authority of that person. So that's a disciple. Jesus had disciples, and His disciples, He sent them out and, and told them what to do and sent them out and gave them, hey, go lay hands on the sick, go preach the kingdom. Uh, and at all seasons, we talk about it from servanthood. Uh, we call ourselves servants. We, we want to serve people. That's, that's what our church, our DNA. Same context. To me, I take it a little differently in this context. I see myself as someone who is, is owned or someone who belongs to the Lord. Uh, I know we use words in, in times past like a slave to the master was a song my mom and dad used to sing. I'm a prisoner of love was the name of the song. I love that song. I'm probably going to sing it next week. I've been, I've been kind of wanting to and, and so to go along with this series. And so it, 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 it's just a mindset that I belong to the Lord. And since I belong to the Lord, I'm under His authority. Whatever He tells me to do, I do. That's the way I see it in my life. If you were to see it as a steward... You would see it as the Bible describes as a rich man who left you his riches and he put his riches in your possession and he goes away. And he says, now I want you to use my riches to en enlarge my kingdom. I want you to, to use it, invest it wisely, in invest it and do what I've called you to do, taught you to do, and go double and triple what I've given you. So however you see it, it's the same way. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's not just something I do. When we had offering a while ago, it's not something I just do. It is my whole lifestyle. So a lot of this, what we're talking about over these last three weeks, it has not even had anything to do with money. The Scriptures are not even about money because it's a lifestyle. It's, it's Money is a small part of it, but it's all about how I give, how I'm giving of myself. So today, we're going to talk about the third part, and this is this. Is it God's addition is all messed up? God's addition is all messed up because what we say is one plus one equals two. But let me tell you something, you plus God never equals the normal value. God says it'll never work that way. He says, I deal in seed, I deal in, all, I deal in the context of, 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 of gardens. I deal in the context of plants. When he describes his kingdom, he doesn't describe it like, well, if you give, I'll give it back. And it'll, no, no, he says, oh, I'll give back. It'll be pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's going to run up. Men will give it. Okay, I gave this. God says, oh, no, but I'm going I'm to increase it. And so God says, if you give, I give 40-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, shall it come back to you? And so when God talks about addition and giving as a servant, He's not trying to say, okay, I'm the master, I've given you a job to do. If you do the job, okay, that's good, I'll, I'll give you another job. Or I get... He says, if you do the job, I will enlarge you. And that's dangerous. Because when you start to see ministers and people, and you start to see so-and-so ministry and so-and-so ministry, really understand, it's just God's ministry. 
They're attaching their name to something that God said the only reason they're doing it is because I gave them the ability to do it. I want to show you a story, one of my favorite characters in, in, in history, and I can talk about several of them. I have, I have bunches of them, but this is one of, the, one of my favorites. And his name is D.O. Moody. And we have a picture probably of D.O. Moody. There he is. Just a normal guy. And as he got chubbier and older and grayer, that's most of the time when you see D.O. Moody pictures, you'll see the older picture. But that was D.O. Moody as a young man, say 30, 30 40 years old. That's D.L. Moody. And, and, and what I want to share with you about D.L. Moody is how he relates to this story. D.L. Moody was probably the most influential person of the 19th century. More powerful than presidents, more powerful than most anybody you would D.L. Moody was more impactful to the country than anyone. He turned the country upside down. And what makes it so amazing is that I like his story because of who he is. D.L. Moody was not even an ordained minister. D.L. Moody was a layman, just, just a, a teacher, just a, just a layperson. But let me tell you the story of, of D.L. Moody and, and how it relates. D.L. Moody is a perfect example of availability versus ability. And I like that because that fits me. Tim, can you be available? Not, not your ability, but your availability. And here, let me just share with you. D.L. Moody, uh, his dad passed away at an early age. He was born in 1837 in Northridge, Massachusetts. He was extremely poor. As I said, his father passed away at an early age, so his mother had to raise all the kids, uh, his sisters, his brothers, all together, and, and she didn't have anything. In fact, when the, when the bill collectors came, when the debt collectors came, they took everything that they had. Not, not just... Not just some of the stuff, it ain't like filing bankruptcy now and, and you get to keep your stuff and you just have to wait six, seven years, whatever it is, to get started again. No, no, when they walk in, they even took the firewood that they had. They took everything that that family had except the clothes on their back and would have took them except it was a crime. Would have taken that. The only thing they had was what little they had wearing and, and, and the ability to just hopefully survive. She was a prominent churchgoer. She was, she was committed to God. In fact, she was so committed to God that they were so poor that what she would tell the kids to do was they would take off their shoes and socks and they would hold their shoes and socks when they walked to church because they couldn't afford new shoes. So the, the walk all the way, she did not want to wear out the shoes that they had so she would have them walk barefoot all the way. And when they would get inside of the church, she would have them sit down, put their shoes and socks back on, and then go into the church. That's how, that's, that's, that was D.L. Moody's life. That was the start of his life. Very impoverished. Had absolutely no reason to succeed. He just kept working through some of the teachings his mom had taught him about, about manners and treating people right. D.L. Moody got into the business of selling shoes. Started being a shoe. That's kind of ironic to hear somebody that was told to take off your shoes and walk barefoot most of the time because you don't want to wear them out. But yet he, by the age of 30 years old, had, had worked, had a good work ethic, and he had become the leading, one of the top shoe salesmen in the, in the East. In fact, he was, he was becoming wealthy. He owned his own store. He, he had worked very hard selling shoes. 
Now, I imagine D.L. Moody was a very good shoe salesman because he could tell some stories, I bet, about shoes and how valuable shoes are. And, man, I'm going to tell you, these shoes feel good. It's a whole lot better walking bare. He, he could have told you all kind of stories. And D.L. Moody here, this shoe salesman at 30 years old, he's going to church, and in on one service, God deals with him. He doesn't react. He doesn't respond. He just, God deals with him. His Sunday school teacher, Mr. Kimbrell, Mr. Kimbrell, notices it. And he lays it on his heart. He doesn't even know where D.L. Moody's story is and doesn't know he finds it out. And he goes to where D.L. Moody's story is, walks in and, and begins to talk with him and says, Mr. Moody, I just God just impressed on me that, that I'm supposed to come talk with you. Well, to make a long story short, D.L. Moody and Mr. Kimbrell, his teacher, went to the back room and D.L. Moody at 30 years old gave his life to the Lord. No, no. But let me explain. As soon as he did this, he, he had a mindset to where, I want to be part of the church. I mean, I, I want to be part of the church. I want. And so he, joined, he, he, he went for the membership class at the church. The only problem is D.L. Moody flunked his membership class. The membership class at the church said, we cannot allow you to be a member. You are too illiterate. He, he was so illiterate, his speaking, his, his... I mean, you have to understand, he had very little education, very little. I mean, he was just a very poor person. And they said, you're too illiterate. I mean, you have to work hard at failing a membership class in church. When you go to church and fail a member, if somebody tells you, did you go to church? Yeah, I failed the membership class. How do you fail a membership? But D.L. Moody did. He failed membership. They just told him and said, you're not... So the second year, a whole year later... He, he signs up again. He tries. He, 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 finally, they said, look, we're, we're going to accept you as a member. We're going to accept you as a member. But they wrote on his thing that D.L. Moody is extremely illiterate and not qualified to handle the Word of God. That's what they wrote on D.L. Moody's membership thing. D.L. Moody, as soon as he did that, he said, God began to deal with him. And he, and he told the people, he said, I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to give my whole heart to God. I'm just going to give everything I got to God. And the people, kind of like I would do, if you got a young person that come up to you and said, Pastor Lot, I feel like I'm supposed to preach. Well, we let you preach. Kind of like, man, let me schedule you. And you'll see sometimes on Wednesday nights, I'll have people come. Or, and they'll all do really good. they got great calling on life. But every now and then, you'll have somebody that I'll put up here. And, and when I do, you're kind of like, ooh. And that's not to be ugly. Because they feel, I got a calling. Well, the first calling we automatically in our mind is, I'm a preacher. Well, let's try it. Well, that's the same thing they did to D.L. Moody. I feel called. Well, D.L., we're going to give you an opportunity to preach. And when he preached, oh, man. Well, you know it was good. No. In fact, immediately after, they had two of the deacons who would review what he did. One of the deacons walked up to him, and here's what he says. I think you can best serve God by remaining silent for the rest of your life. That's what the deacon told him after he preached. Now, I've said some cruel things to folks after. I'm like, you know what? God's got something for you. But I didn't tell him, look, the best thing you can do is don't talk no more. The second person, the other deacon came up to him and he said this, Mr. Moody, you offended me with your poor grammar. D.L. Moody looked at him and said, I realize my grammar is very poor. He said, you seem to have good grammar, don't you? The man said, yes, 
yes, I've, I've studied and I've, I've done. I, I guess I, you could say I have very good grammar. D.L. Moody looked at him and said, what are you doing for God? See, there was, there was a fight in D.L. Moody of availability that trumped his ability. There was something in D.L. Moody. He wasn't trying to be mean. He was just, look, I've been picked on all my life. People see me walk around with no shoes. You're not going to hurt me. All I want to know is, what are you doing for the Lord? And that was the end of the conversation. Yeah, I admit, my grammar's not good. I'm not saying, I, you see me up here many times that I'll tell you guys, look, I'm not the brightest. I don't want to be claimed the brightest. I'm not the smartest person. I don't, I don't try to say that. My words don't go. I, I may, I may uh, uh, stuff may fly out of my mouth sometimes when I get excited. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I understand all that. I'm not, but what God is looking for is, Tim, are you available? I don't need all your talent. I don't need all your abilities. I don't need to be the smartest person in the room because understand the process. You're under my authority. You're under my ability. You're, it's not your ability that, that I need. It's not you trying to serve me. It's not you trying to live for me. It's not you trying to preach for me. Let me tell you the way I told my disciples, Tim. When you stand before magistrates, when you stand before smart people, when you stand before people, you realize, I don't belong in this room. He said, I'm going to tell you what you do. You open your mouth, and I, at that moment, will fill it with what needs to be filled. Don't worry about everything else. Just be what I've called you to be. Be available so I can use you. But so many of us get shut down in our life because we feel like, well, I'm, I, that's just not my gift. I'm not able to speak right. I'm not able to do it right. I'm not. And talking about that, Let's look at a story. Go with me in your Bibles to Acts 3, verses 1 through 12. And I'm just going to use this story real quick because the praise team took all the time and I got no time. I just felt that anointing. I had to speak that. <sighs> no, it was awesome. I was in the background like a baby. And I was like, you folks need to be at the altar. Like, somebody's sick in here. Y'all need to get to the altar quick. And, and, and so it's, there's times it's like, look, God, you do whatever you got to do because I, I can shorten and work my little word in, but, but you make sure. And, guys, when God moves, don't waste it. If, God, if you got a diagnosis this week or something and, and you've been sitting there holding it and you didn't move, why? Why? Why would you... If, if, if somebody texts something bad about you and gave you a thumbs down, it hurt your feelings this week, then why would you sit there still upset? Take it to God. So we look at the story, and I want to point out about eight things real quick. I'm just going to go through it. It's a real short story. But it's an amazing story because it's not the, the glamour that you're looking for. Because the glamour comes in chapter 2, right? The day of Pentecost, that's what we always talk about, the day of Pentecost. And boy, Peter preached, and 3,000 people got I mean, that's the, the bomb. And you would think that right after that, he started Peter Ministries, got him a van, a, a traveling, you know, got him an orchestra to follow him around, started booking all the coliseums around. No. The end of chapter 2, what it says is, is that, they went to each other's houses, they had shared their bread, they lived, had gladness and joy, and the Lord added to the church, not that they grew the church, the Lord added to the church daily as should be added. Who, who were they under? God. They're like, God, we're just doing, if you 
if you set me up with another 3,000 person sermon, I'll do it. But until then, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to. And they did. And God just kept blessing them. And then something happens. In chapter 3, the next moment happens. It's not some big moment where everybody is speaking in tongues and staggering around. And everybody thinks they're drunk. Peter and John are going to pray. What they do every day, they're just going to pray. Here's what the Bible says. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the time they go to pray, as the sun is setting, they're, they're deciding, hey, it's time, it's the hour of prayer, we go and we pray. And it's ironic that Peter and John, you'll read a lot about Peter and John being together in these early moments. Why? Because remember, Peter is the one who's done fouled it up, messed it up, cussed it up, and everything else. And he's still struggling. He's still struggling with, you know, I'm just, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm Peter. I'm just gonna mess it up. If I, and here he he gets hooked up with John, who John's walking around. And you're like, you know who I am? Yeah, I'm the one Jesus loves the most. <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm gonna write a book about how much he loves me. So there's John, who's, who's this, this guy that just eat up with the love of Christ and knows Jesus' love. And here's Peter like, I'm just trying to hold it together. I'm just trying to hold it to, just trying. And God puts them together because they, they, they glean off of each other. They glean off of each other. And so they're, they're what do they fix to go do? We got to go pray. Let's go pray. We ain't going to revival. We're not. We're just going to go pray. So every day they're going to pray. And at the ninth hour, they go and pray. Let me tell you the first thing about people that God uses. If you want to be one of these people, if you want to be in a stewardship lifestyle, or you, you want to be somebody that God is going to multiply your life, the 60, the 100, press down, shake. They have the ability, number one, to just do the right things. It's not exciting. When it's Sunday, they go to church. When it's Wednesday and they're not working, they go to church. When there's an issue in their life, they pray about it. When there's a big issue in their life, they fast and pray about it. If there's an issue they can't figure out themselves, they call the elders, they call people they know, and get them on the phone, hey, let's come together, let's pray about it. If they're going to have friends, they're going to have church friends. Because that's what the Bible says in chapter 2. They, they fellowship together, they had time together, they, they, they ate at each other's houses. They... they I got friends, they all church friends. So everything about their life was doing what was right. They lived right. If it was a party that wasn't a good party, we just ain't going to that party. If we can, if we can hang with people and be good, that's great. But the fact is, the first thing that God looks for is people who are constantly, consistently just doing the right thing on a regular basis. If you're in this room and you say, boy, I want God to use me. I, I would love God to use me. I wish God would use me more than anything. I hear people all the time that will say things like that. I want to be used of God. Boy, I, I, I want God to use me in a tremendous way, Brother Lot. I'm, I'm sitting here waiting. I'm just sitting here waiting for God to call me. And I'm like, you're going to be sitting for a long time. Because that's not the way it works. You've got to get busy about doing what you already know to do. One of the greatest lines I ever heard from a preacher growing up, and I, I can't even remember his name, but I'll never forget this, this line that he said. He said, if we just did what we already knew to do, it would already give us enough work to not need today's sermon. 
And I've thought about that a lot of times. Have I showed up to church thinking to myself, I don't need another sermon. I'm not even doing what Pastor Lot preached last Sunday. We've become people who, who just digest information and digest the next sermon. And we listen to this guy on the line and we watch this one on TBN and we listen to this one on the radio and we listen to this one here and we got this one's DVD set and we got this. And we've got, we've got tons of information and tons of sermon and a whole bunch of what I should do. It's like finances. Most everybody's got a Dave Ramsey something laying around their house. Budget, this, how to organize your life. Anybody got any of them kind of books laying around? Are you using them all? Go ahead and point them out to me. No, don't do that. All right, I got them, I got them. Yeah, we're bad about it. I mean, if we just canceled right now, yeah, I know, I should treat my wife better than I have, then why do I need to preach anymore? I know, I should treat my husband better. Enough said. I know, I had not spent enough time with my kids, spent at home, but I've been bit. If God's already speaking all this stuff to you on a regular basis, and now it's like, well, I want to hear what Pastor Lot's got to say today. <laughs> You're just going to throw it on the pile. So the first quality that God looks for in your life is, are you a person that can do what I've asked you to do? Are you a person that right now is doing what you know is right? Are you doing just right now what you know is right? I can tell you that, that one of the first characteristics is, is a person who can just do the right thing day in and day out. And Peter and John, guess where he found them when he wants to do something with them? Go and pray. That's a good place to start. The second thing about these people is simply this, is that these people who are willing to be interrupted. The second thing about this quality is you have to be someone who's willing to consistently be interrupted. If you're someone who is so scheduled, got everything detailed out so much, then you will be of very little value to God. Now, I hate to break some people's hearts who, who, who are over-organized. My wife, love her to death. But she is a detailed person. And I drive her crazy. Because I may just be going down the road and God said, you need to go to Jackson and check on so-and-so. And I'll just text her, I'm going to Jackson, check on so-and-so. Why? Oh, God, God told me to. <laughs> I don't know why. You're, you're, you're way past my thought process. I, you have to, I'm not smart, remember? I don't, I don't operate that way. I'm not thinking this thing through. I ain't worried about gas prices. I ain't, I'm just saying, this is what God told me to do. Got to go. And, and, and this, when you're going to operate with God, don't get me wrong, you don't need to be so disorganized that God's like, look, it's, it's a mess. I can't worry with you. But you've got to have enough in your life that if God says, Tim, I need you to sell your house in Caledonia. I need you to move to Forest, and I need you to be there for 28 years. Well, God, I got a lot of family over here. Don't get so organized, so connected, so nailed down, so planned out that God can't yank your chain and say, I got something better if you'll just let go of what you got. If you'll let go of what you got, because that's the key. Can you, can you stand the ability to be interrupted? Listen to what it says, verse 2. 
So they're going to pray. Everything's good. We're just going to go to church. I'm just going to go to church. And as I'm walking to church, guess what's sitting right at the front door? And a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, did what? Well, you can just imagine, man, Peter and John like, boy, it's going to be such, I've been waiting for this prayer time. I've just been waiting. It's going to be a wonderful time. I'm telling you, I could just feel God's spirit all day. And, and all of a sudden, all you hear is, ding, 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 hey, you got some money? Can you, get, can you spare some change? Everything about their plans. Okay, we're just going to go to church. Now, all of a sudden, wow, we got somebody needing money. We got somebody needing help. We... Lord, this was not on my agenda. This was not what I had planned. This is not what I had. Charlie Brown said it best in his cartoon. He says, you know, I love mankind. It's just people I can't stand. <laughs> you, ever, you ever get like that? It's like, I love my church. It's just Kenneth. I can't really, it's just if it wasn't for Kenneth. I love everybody, Kenneth, but John Austin. See, that's our problem. It's like, we're fine until it gets detailed. Until it, it's actually something I need to do. Now, in, in large general speaking, it's great. Oh, I love everybody. Well, how about you, you know, your family and everything? Oh, now, brother Lot, there's some of them now. I can't. I'm like, you just said you loved everybody. Yeah, but now you're getting too detailed. And what happens in life is these people can, can handle interruptions, can handle God saying, we need to do this now. Or we need, if you're going to be one of these people, you've got to be able to realize, hey, if God tells us to do this, if God moves on us to do this, if God says, hey, today we're, we're just going to carry so-and-so to lunch. If God says, you know, today we're just going to go by and, and make some Mexican food and take it over to so-and-so's house. Or we're just going to go do something nice. Or, hey, today I'm just going to write a letter. God's just been laying on my heart to write a letter to somebody and, and, and do that. Whatever your giftedness is, God's going to pull on that from time to use it. And if you tell Him more than once or twice or three times, God, you know, I'm busy. You just... Don't be amazed if he moves on and finds somebody who isn't so loaded that they're able to be used. While at the same time, the same person sits there all the time. Oh, I wish God would use me. I wish God would use me. Well, write the letter. I don't want to write a letter. I, I want God to use me. Just doing what you know to do. And then allowing God to bring interruptions in your life that, that seem to change your agenda. Number three, these people, these people have the ability to play, pay close attention to needs. What, what gets us, and hopefully I can call myself as part of this group, what gets us is the fact that no matter where we go, what we notice are needs. We notice needs. That's, that's, that's all we notice. So that's why I don't like to carry a lot of money with me or anything like that nature. And my wife makes sure that that does not happen all the time. And it's not a bad thing. Because all I notice are needs. All I see is needs. Jesus didn't keep his own money. Jesus had Judas take care of the purse. That was a bad idea. 
but he had it planned. But Jesus understood, you don't want me doing this because all I see is needs. I go about doing good. That's all I think about, doing good. If I go to Walmart, if I see a kid in a buggy and they're looking at their mom like, can I have that? And the mom was like, no, no, we can't get that today. I'm the guy that's like grabbing my money and grabbing the candy bar and setting it up there and saying, here, I want to buy that for them, you know, and, 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 and not because not I want them to come to all seasons or know their name. They don't even have to know who I am. It's just, I, I just, it's just my nature. And God looks for people who can notice needs. If you notice somebody's yard and it didn't mowed across the street and you know, man, I mow my grass. I can run over in five seconds and run over there. He, he looks for those kind of people because needs is what God looks for. God looks for needs and God looks for the hurting and God, and then he looks for somebody that he can pick and say, can I use you to help meet the need? Now it's not you because you're under my authority, under my ability, and I'm going to help you, but I need you. God never works outside of a person. One of the biggest things the enemies will mess you up with is that, well, God just does what, let me just go ahead and break that bubble for you. God does nothing without a person. If he wants to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, he better find a Moses. If he's going to start a nation, he better find an Abraham. If he's going to change the world, he better find 12 disciples. God always works through people. Now, it's his power and his glory, but he, he understands that I built this world in dominion so that you have dominion, but working under my authority, there's no power that will stop you from accomplishing what you need to accomplish. If you do it outside of me, you'll fail. But if you do it in my authority, in my power, no weapon formed against you will prosper. No enemy that comes against you will ever overcome you. You will win all the battles that comes in your life. And God says, that's the way I've set it up. So these people pay close attention to needs. In fact, listen to verse 3. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask the alms, bothers them. And listen to what happens. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter says to him, Look at us. Look at us. Look at me. Doesn't ignore it. I'd like to think of all the things he could have said. Let me just give you a few. You know what? We'd love to help you, but right now we're going to church. Can you call us later? Hey, we'd love to help you. You know you, we care about your need. I'm going to put you on my prayer list. He didn't need prayer. He needed alms. I really care. You know, we do. But why is it every time we come to church, we have to do all the work around here? They ain't ever got enough people for nursery. They're always calling me to come help in nursery. Why is it, why, I mean, what's, why is it always us? Hey, buddy, look, look at all these other people. Why don't you rattle your can and ask them? For, is Susie over here, she walked by. You didn't ask her for money. No, you look directly at me and John who seeing Peter and John go in, looks at them and says, hey guys, you know we try to ignore it, don't we? Because like if something's like, let's just be honest, they're ringing that bell at Walmart. <laughs> let's just be honest. We try to make sure somebody is walking by us so that they catch them before they catch us. 
At least that's what I hear that people do. And there's either two ways to exit Walmart. Either you gave going in, and when you walk out, you can smile and say, I already gave. Or you can hope they're talking to somebody while you walk by. Oh, no, don't give me that look now. Now I see I'm preaching. I'm all up in your business. But it's true. We don't like to be bothered, interrupted. And if Peter doesn't just do this, I mean, think of all the things he could have said. Hey, why is it every time we come to church, they ask us for money? Didn't even get into church good. And he got somebody. They, it ain't like they just accidentally happened. The Bible says they brought the man every day, sat him down to rattle his can in front of church. What if they set me out in a chair every Sunday? And I had a bell and a plate. And I say, give to the church today. Give to the... Y'all would have that all over Facebook. It would be so bad. And you'd already be on Facebook. All they want is money. I'll even put Pastor Lott sitting out there in a chair to get money. Well, that was the church there. They took the sick, the lame, the hurting, and put them in front of the church and said, well, if anybody's going to help them, these people will. Or they could have said, we've come to church to receive. Man, we, we've come here to get our spiritual food. Man, we didn't come here to, to be bothered by all this stuff. I ain't got time for that. I'll deal with that later. And there's some of you that, that man, you just, you just show up. The lights are free. The sermon's free. The air's free. It ain't cost you nothing. Just the time to get here. Man, Pastor Lot, I'll be glad when he's through with his stewardship sermon. Man, this stuff's starting to bitch me. Why can't we get back to just blessings and, and, and how God's going to just pour out spirit? Because this is part of church. They didn't say any of that. They looked at the man and said, look at me. Look at me. I got something I need to tell you. Look very closely. Number four. These people are people who give, and when they give, they inspire others. How do I know that, that, that it's doing it in the right way, in the right spirit? Because listen to me, when you give in the right spirit, in a joyful way, the Bible says he loves a cheerful giver. When he says that, he doesn't mean just be laughing when you drop your offering. In it. What he means is, is giving in an understanding of how you're giving, why you're giving, and the purpose you're giving. Being able to be joyful about, I have the opportunity to give. Here's what he says. And fixing his eyes on him, Peter and John said, look at us. Now he said it in such a way that, listen, so he gave them his... See, when you say it in the right way, it will cause people... That's why some people say, boy, I wish, you know, Pastor Lott, he can walk into a hospital room and he can... It's not that I'm saying anything different. It's the fact of what I know that I'm there to do. Hey, give me your attention. Something's fixing to happen. I didn't come all this way to waste my time. Or yours. And you know what it creates in a person? So he gave them their attention, expecting to receive something from them. See, until you change your attitude about giving, it won't change their attitude about receiving. 
If you walk in, even if you, even if you say, all right, I got this person, I don't like them, they don't like me, but I'm going to bake them a cake, Brother Luck, because you told me to do something kind for them, and I'm going to do it. And I walk over to their house, and I, 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 I knock on their door, hey, I, 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 I know we ain't good friends, but I wanted to bring you this cake, let you know I love you. You think that's going to go over good? But if you walk over and, and you look at them and you say, hey, this morning I was cooking myself some, and God just laid you on my heart, and, and I'm going to tell you something, He chewed me up about the way maybe I thought or I've acted, and I want to I ask you to forgive me because I probably ain't had the right spirit about things, and I'm sorry. And, and, and in that, I, just, I wanted to give you this cake just to let you know I love you. Which one do you think is going to work? It's, it's in the per attitude by which you're doing what you're doing. Peter and John wasn't doing it for their own ministries. They wasn't doing it to be known. They wasn't doing it to be put in the paper. They were doing it because the moment they looked at that need, something struck Peter and John and said, that person needs help. And, and, and we've got to help that person. That's why they fixed their eyes on him like, God, what in the world that you want me to do? I know how that is because I, I, I do that sometimes. And, and people's like, they'll, they'll pick at me. They'll say, your eyes go black when you do that. Your eyes turn dark. I said, it's not that I'm, it's just that I'm trying to figure out what God is saying. Tim, you got something. What is it that you've got that you can give right now? What is it that you can do? God, if you'll speak it, I'll do it. If you tell me, I'll do it. I'm not good at baking cakes, but I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll, I, I'll, I'll give whatever. I'll pray for whatever I'll do. And that's what they did. And, and they looked at this man intently and said, look at us now look when they said that he looked at them because he said I'm getting something I'm getting something number five I'm trying to run through people who use to do this are able to use what they have I'm going to tell you the greatest excuse you'll ever use in working for God well, I don't have no way to help that person. If they were asking for alms, and Peter looked at him in the next verse, and Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. So this guy sticks out his cup, expecting something, and Peter says, I'm going to give you something. And he first tells him, let me just go ahead and be plain with you. What it is you think you're going to get, isn't it? I don't have that. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, but what I possess, because I've been with the Lord and I know what's mine, I know under His authority what He's given me the ability to do, that I can lay hands on the sick, that I can pray for those that are sick and they shall recover. I have that given to me. He's already told me, Peter, that's yours. That which I have, I give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Number six. People who have this realize their source of getting is God. Notice now he understood whose authority. He said, I'm giving it to you, but how am I doing it? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If I give somebody some candy, if I, if, I, if I buy that candy bar for the kid, and they're like, thank you. No, no, just thank the Lord. Thank, thank the good Lord. I'm telling you, he's been good to me. I'm quickly trying to re realize 
you got to realize it's not mine. It never was mine. I'm just doing what God's called me to do. And he was quick to say, I'm fixing to do this, but understand where it's coming from. It's coming from Jesus. Jesus is fixing to be the one that does this in your life. Number seven. And I know I'm running through them. People like this are willing to try to trust God to do the rest. Let me tell you something you'll never be able to do. You'll never be able to fix anybody's problems. And that cake you bake for somebody is not going to fix. And giving them $5 for a chicken meal ain't going to fix their problem. Then why do it, Brother Lot? I mean, it's not going to solve anything. Then why do it? Because what you're doing is acting in faith. Remember I said one plus one with God doesn't equal two. God just needs the opportunity for you to entangle yourself with Him. And where you run out, He says, I'll take care of the rest. So what does that look like? Let me show you what it looks like. In the name of Jesus, John Austin be healed. Right? It won't work. This is what happens. And he took him by the... It's yours. It's not... It's, it's, it's mine to give through the power of Jesus Christ. But what we call faith is when somebody's sitting there, in the name of Jesus, I speak that you're healed. That's not faith. That's hope. You turn around like, feel better? Feel anything? Feel anything? He could have looked at him and said, feel any tingling in your feet or anything? He didn't ask him, was he tingling? Didn't ask him. He said, I'm fixing to give it to you. Are you ready to receive it? The man in expectation is ready to receive. So Peter grabs him by the hand and pulls him up. And the Bible says, and lifted him up. I didn't want you to think I was just helping him. No, he lifted him. And somewhere between yanking him up, the Bible said, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received. He went from sitting from the moment he was born to an older man who has never walked. They've carried him every day. And in a matter of one second from the moment I touched him and yanked him, from the time his feet hit the ground, he all of a sudden could walk like a 40-year-old man. I had a friend of mine years ago, great evangelist. And he went overseas. And he had the opportunity to pray at a house for some was a dignitary very wealthy dignitary. And when he went over to his house, he said, I have a son who has polio, has, has issues, and, and, and his legs are no good. And he said, I've read in your Bible this story. And he pointed to that story and he read it to him. He said, is this true? Are you such a man? Whew. Now, I, I love it when the world asks that. Are you such a man? Do you possess the authority to do what God called you to do? And my friend said, yes, I am. He was a, an evangelist. He, he, that's what he did. 
They brought the boy to them here in the living room and he laid his hands on the boy. Power of God hit him. Hit. He handed the boy back and he said, the boy will have to learn how to walk. The boy will have to, you know, but the boy's healed. And the boy could even move his feet and stuff. And, and it, they knew. The man held the boy for a second. He handed him back to the evangelist. And he sat down. He said, this is not the story. He said the story was the man danced. And my friend said, Tim, it was one of those moments where you're just like, okay, God. And he grabbed the boy and set the boy on his feet. And he spoke over him. He said, I have already proclaimed you healed in the name of Jesus. Your legs are complete. And he dropped the boy. And when his feet hit the ground, the boy could dance. And could walk. And the father with tears said, that's the story I heard. What the world is looking for is the story that they heard. Not this story that we do in Christianity now where, well, you know, I'm a lot better now that I got saved. That's not the story. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things became new. That's the story they heard. Well, how did you mess up the story? What we've done is, is we want to mix a little bit of God with a little bit of our own ability and our little bit of our own self. And God says, no. The stewardship lifestyle is that it's all mine. It's all mine, but I'm using you to show it. How do you know that, Brother Lot? Because let's read. And all the people saw him walking. And I'm through. I'm finished. And all the people saw him walking. There's only one left is eight, right? Number eight. And number eight is it always is for God's glory. That's number eight. I'll show you why. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. <laughs> then notice what they saw him doing. This old man has never walked. They said, We saw him walking and praising God. And they knew it was he who had been begging. For alms, the beautiful gate of temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, which is normal. Because if I just prayed for you and you jumped up and you could walk and I walked away, what's the first thing you do? You'd be wanting to hang out with I want to hang out with that dude. And all the people ran together to them to the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at as though by our own power or goodness we made this man walk? Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the fathers that glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And he goes into preaching. He said, I'm going to tell you who did this miracle. It's the guy you got killed. But that's okay. He was so big and bad, he just rose himself from the dead. And right now in his name we can heal. In his name you can be saved. In his name you can go free. In his name. And they began to preach and God did a whole nother revival. 
In fact, I've always asked the question, which one was bigger? Chapter 2 or chapter 3? Chapter 2, everybody's, oh, that's the birth of the church, day of Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved. I know. But that died down. But I tell you what didn't is that man every day from that moment on, every church service when he walked into that temple. And somebody say, who is that? Well, that's that guy that Jesus healed a few months ago. And he's been walking ever since. In fact, he done started a walking ministry at the church. That guy's all fired up about walking now. What are you saying, Pastor? If you have these qualities, what happens is your life doesn't just add. In fact, the next thing we read about the church, the Bible says, and the church began to multiply. We call it addition. God, if I help you, you're going... God says, Tim, if you help me, I'll blow your mind. I'll blow your mind, son. I don't deal with addition. You try to add it, but I multiply it. And what God is looking for is someone, not for their own glory, their own purpose, but just because I want to serve the Lord. In fact, D.L. Moody said it best. And I'll go back and close with his, his saying. It's been a saying that haunts me most of my life. It, it has always haunted me. And I still struggle with it. But D.L. Moody went to uh, Dublin, Ireland. And when he went to Dublin, Ireland, there was a man who said a phrase that caught D.L. Moody's Mr. Varley. Here's what he said. He said, The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully consecrated to Him. The world is yet to see it, what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully consecrated to Him. D.L. Moody heard that and it struck him probably like it strikes me. And this is what D.L. Moody said in his autobiography when he, when he wrote about what that phrase when it hit him. He said, D.L. Moody said, I said, he said a man. He did not say a great man. He did not say a learned man. He did not say a smart man. He just said simply a man. And I am a man. I'm a man. I could be that person. And I believe God looks to and fro throughout Scott County and all these areas around us. And He says, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for a person. I got the power. I've got all the stuff. I'm looking for somebody who I can know will put me first, who will wholly consecrate himself to me so I can show the world something they've never seen before. Do you ever get tired of just hearing the Bible stories? I love the Karen story this morning. People say, miracles still have to happen all the time. I watch them happen all the time. I wish we could have had both x-rays and showed you. One showed a spot and the other did. 
I don't worry about that kind of stuff. I'm not into some kind of publicity, but let me just make it very clear. They happen all the time. The question is, can they happen through you? Could God use you tomorrow where you are for somebody crying or hurting? Could God say, I need you to look at them. Tell them you're going to help them. I need you to use what I've given you. And I need you to help me change their life. It's not you, but I need you to help me. Your faith, my power, transforming their life. You stand. Well, I blame today totally on the praise team. I think the praise team did a good job. If services end like this, I'm just good with it. I hope that something I said today will give you an understanding of what stewardship is about. Money is just a very small part of it. Most stories in the Bible have nothing to do with it. But at the same time, they do because it's all about being connected. And I must be connected in all areas. I can't pick one and say, well, I'll be connected everywhere but here. God says, I want you to be in a lifestyle of stewardship. So that when I'm looking for somebody to pray for your kid, I can say, you don't have to call a doctor. You can do it yourself. When I need somebody to give an encouraging word to that person that's hurting, you don't have to call Pastor Lot or tell them, look, I'm going to give you Pastor Lot's number. You can say, let, let me talk with you. God put me right here, right now for this moment. God's searching, looking. Looking for people, young people. You don't have to be old, young people. Who says, God... I'll be the man. I'll be the woman. I'll be the person. I'll do it. So you can show yourself through me. I'll be a steward of everything you give me. I'll be a steward of whatever you bless me with. Whatever talents and gifts. Use me, God. Not like the world. That when I'm through, I'm used up. But use me so that when I'm through, I'm better than I was. Father, this morning I pray that over this entire congregation. I, when they leave here, I hope that somehow they, they notice something. They see someone. They spot something that ain't right. And God, something in their heart says, make it right. Through me, let's make it right. Father, I speak that it will happen this week. That lame will walk. Miracles will be seen. Marriages will be restored. Family relationships will be strengthened. Healings will take place in bodies. Miracles will break forth. Because we serve an all-powerful God. And I thank You for this. For allowing us to be part of Your family. And to be used in such a mighty way. In Jesus name. Amen.
Go give that old devil fits.